I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. Today, we're going to dive into the life of a lesser known yet immensely powerful Tudor woman, and that would be Lady Margaret Douglas, the niece of Henry VIII. She is often left in the shadows of the more famous figures of her era but she wielded a significant influence behind the scenes of the Tudor court, shaping the course of history in ways that leave an impact even today. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be quite a long one. The transcript itself is about 6,000 words. So grab a beverage of your choice and get settled in. We're going to cover all sorts of geography from Scotland to France to England and get into the politics of all of the Tudor monarchs, except maybe Henry VII. Before we get started, though, This is your regular reminder about TudorCon. We're just under two months away. Hooray! Plans are being finalized and moving on apace. Remember, if you can't come in person, and remember, there's actually still a bit of time to get your ticket if you can, you can still come via the magic of the interwebs via our streaming ticket. All of the talks will be live. There will be a moderated chat so you can ask questions of all of the speakers interact with others in attendance. There's a dedicated TutorCon group where you'll get the transcripts and the recordings, plus a digital goodie bag with ebooks, electronic art, and some other fun digital treats. So go to englandcast.com slash TutorCon online to learn more and enter the code EARLYBIRD when you receive your ticket to save $10. And again, that's englandcast.com slash TutorCon online and enter the code EARLYBIRD. All right, then, my friends, Margaret Douglas, born amidst political turmoil and bred in the opulent yet dangerous Tudor court, Lady Margaret's life was rife with romance, power plays, and the immense task of playing kingmaker within her own family lineage. Her story offers a unique lens through which to view the Renaissance England that we all know and love, brimming with clandestine plots, royal scheming, and political maneuverings. In this episode, we're going to talk about her childhood, her critical role within the court, and the powerful players that she was able to place in positions of authority, as well as her legacy. So settle in and get comfortable. Here we go. Lady Margaret Douglas was born on October 7th, 1515. Some sources say October 8th, but it was actually the 7th. She was the child of a politically charged union between Margaret Tudor, who was, of course, the older sister of Henry VIII. She was also the Queen Dowager of Scotland at the time. 
and her second husband, Archibald Douglas, the sixth Earl of Angus. It was a tumultuous relationship that was often at odds with the political climate of the time. They had secretly left Linlithgow Palace in Scotland due to the escalating tensions, and the marriage of her parents set the stage for Margaret's eventful life. Archibald was apparently considered a young, witless fool by his own uncle, Gavin Douglas. He headed the influential Red Douglas clan. They typically leaned towards the pro-English party in Scotland, and this clan was often at odds with the majority pro-French group. Also, little did Queen Margaret know at the time of their marriage, Archibald was actually already pre-contracted to marry a Lady Janet Stewart, a detail that would come back later to haunt him and his daughter. The union between Queen Margaret and Archibald sparked resentment among the other Scottish nobles. They feared that this alliance could lead to Archibald's domination of the government because, of course, Queen Margaret, her son, was the king. She was the queen dowager. Uh, They were worried about him having complete power over this. So they actually summoned the Duke of Albany from France to take up the role of governor. This left Queen Margaret feeling cornered, and she was urged to seek out refuge across the border in England. She was encouraged by the English Warden of the East March. She arrived at Harbottle Castle just days before she was due to give birth to her first child by Angus. And she gave birth. Little Margaret thrived and was christened on the 8th of October, with Cardinal Wolsey actually serving as her godfather by proxy. Now, being born in England actually had significant implications for Lady Margaret. She was born to an English mother. She was born on English soil. And so she was seen as an English subject. This also made her eligible to inherit the crown. She, of course, would be a granddaughter of Henry VII. This would influence her position in the years to come. In the immediate aftermath of the birth, Queen Margaret fell seriously ill. She laid immobile on her bed. And during this time, there were whispers in Europe of a potential invasion of Scotland by Henry VIII. Despite assurances by his minister, Cardinal Wolsey, of no such intention, Henry was prepared to enforce his will should Albany not accede to his demands regarding Queen Margaret. After a series of letters, Queen Margaret and her husband were invited by Henry and his council to come south for Christmas. Due to Queen Margaret's frailty and the ongoing policy uncertainties regarding Scotland, the party did not actually travel to London, and instead Queen Margaret and baby Margaret were relocated to Morpeth in slow stages, arriving on the 23rd of November, 1515. So little Margaret would have been about six weeks old. Seemed like a really big journey to undertake with a six-week-old. I remember just getting out the door with a six-week-old seemed <laughs> like impossible. But anyway, they traveled. Then Angus did go back to Scotland a few weeks before Queen Margaret and baby Margaret departed to continue south on the 8th of April, 1516. Queen Margaret probably understood Angus's need to maintain his estates, but she still felt a sense of betrayal. Angus 
quickly resumed his relationship with said Janet Stewart, which resulted in a daughter and more indignation for Queen Margaret, especially when she discovered that Angus and Janet had been living in her own dower castle, not cool. Traveling south with young Margaret, Queen Margaret entered London on the 3rd of May, 1516, and was greeted with joy at the court in Greenwich, which was celebrating the birth of Mary, Henry and Catherine's long-awaited child. From Henry's perspective, his sisters were crucial tools to attain and sustain power for his lineage. With his perception skewed towards the establishment of a Scottish regency favoring England, he did not shy away from any means necessary to achieve this goal. The problem for Henry was that without a living son, the young James was still his closest male heir, which wasn't something that he liked. So his strategy was to try to control the boy through his mother and ideally bring him to England, rendering the situation less threatening. To implement this, he needed Margaret to go back to Scotland. So finally, in December of 1516, England and Scotland signed a treaty that allowed Queen Margaret to return to Scotland. In 1517, in May, Queen Margaret and Lady Margaret, who was then 18 months old, baby Margaret, embarked on their journey from London. They were welcomed at Berwick by Albany's representative and Angus on the 15th of June. Queen Margaret was thrilled to see Angus, her husband, still quite oblivious of his affair with the Lady Janet and of their daughter. The reunion, however, was short-lived, with Queen Margaret writing to her brother about her increasing troubles with her husband, Angus. During this tumultuous period, it's believed that young Margaret stayed with her mother, but records of her upbringing or education during this time are few and far between. In 1517, Queen Margaret contemplated annulling her marriage to Angus, but was dissuaded. But by 1521, their relationship had crumbled completely, and Angus, who had tried to undermine Albany's regency, was exiled to France. Angus later ventured to England, where Henry warmly welcomed him, which must have really made Margaret mad. The two formed an alliance, requiring Angus to endorse English interests in Scotland. Henry seemed to favor Angus over his own sister and turned a blind eye to her grievances about him. Now, little Margaret, baby Margaret's education during this period is not well documented, but we can figure out from later records and the practices at the time that she would have learned to read, probably write. She was likely fluent in Scots and English, and she had some understanding of French. She also would have probably learned some practical skills related to managing her large household and also probably some Latin and some history. She also would have been taught music to sing, to play the lute and the virginals. And she also would have gone riding, hunting, and maybe even learned some falconry. In terms of her religious upbringing, Margaret was brought up in the traditional form, a practice that she upheld throughout her life. Despite the emerging skepticism towards the veneration of images and relics in intellectual circles, Margaret remained a faithful Catholic and she passionately collected relics. In the aftermath of Angus's exile, in 1524, Queen Margaret actually turned to the Pope, seeking an annulment, 
based on Angus's previous betrothal to Lady Janet. This started a whole scandal back in England, where Henry, Catherine, and Wolsey were absolutely shocked and did everything in their power to prevent it. Wolsey, in his correspondence with Henry, detailed his strategies to obstruct the matter due to concerns that the Queen intended to marry Albany, who was her alleged lover. So I think this is quite rich. Henry's having a fit about his sister wanting an annulment from her husband, who's clearly not very nice to her. And, you know, just a few years later, he would be seeking his own annulment. In the same year, Queen Margaret swayed the Scots estates to declare the end of Albany's regency, giving King James the throne himself. This led to Angus returning to Scotland, where he caused further problems for his wife and stepson. He took control of King James's government, significantly influencing the Scottish government for the next three years. Lady Margaret's exact whereabouts during this time are kind of sketchy, but she probably stayed near her father and was probably in close contact with her half-brother at various royal palaces like Stirling, Linlithgow, or Edinburgh. So in 1526, the Pope finally grants Queen Margaret's divorce. It was announced in Scotland by Cardinal James Beaton, Archbishop of St. Andrews. The declaration included the legitimacy of the union's daughter, as Queen Margaret entered the marriage in good faith. Queen Margaret then subsequently remarried a Henry Stuart, Lord Methven. When she was close to 15, Margaret was brought to the English court by Henry VIII following her mother's failed attempt to secure her a marriage with the French Dauphin. Margaret was appointed as a lady-in-waiting to Henry's daughter, Mary, the future Mary I of England. On April 6, 1530, Henry VIII got Margaret clothing, supplied her with clothing, but her precise location at that time is ambiguous. There's a theory that Alison Weir puts forth that she moved from Northumberland to the residence of her Aunt Mary, the French Queen, in Suffolk. The theory's foundation lies in the lines of a posthumous tribute poem about Margaret, presumably penned by someone who knew her personally. However, in the absence of contemporary records, other historians argue that she went directly to Beaulieu, living with her cousin Mary. By Christmas of 1530, Margaret was attending court and was given six pounds, 13 shillings, by Henry for her leisure. This gift was presented again the following year. Margaret was now part of her cousin Mary's entourage. Mary was still acknowledged as a princess, with her parents' marriage under dispute, but not yet formally annulled. The two girls developed a close bond that lasted throughout Mary's lifetime. There was only a six-month age difference. They were both under the supervision of Mary's lady mistress, Margaret Plantagenet, Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, who was also a cousin, of course, of their maternal grandmother, Elizabeth of York. Living in the princess's household, she would have been subject to very strict rules. At that time, Lady Salisbury was in her late 50s and likely adhered to traditional principles in raising young royal family members. This could have been balanced with the progressive education that Mary was receiving, although there's no evidence suggesting that Margaret was included in those lessons. The entire household was made of about 162 members, with Lady Salisbury leading them all. Mostly the girls resided at Mary's estates, making occasional visits to the king and queen at court during Easter and Christmas. 
they also would have seen Henry and Catherine as Henry and Catherine moved around to their various palaces north of London. In 1533, as Princess Mary's status was downgraded and her household disbanded, Margaret was called to court to serve the newborn Elizabeth, daughter of the new Queen Anne Boleyn. She held the role of Chief Lady of the Bedchamber. It's not documented whether she pledged allegiance to the Acts of Succession and Supremacy in 1534, which, of course, validated Anne's position as Queen and Elizabeth as the sole legitimate heir while renouncing the Pope's authority. But in order to have that position and be a court, she probably would have given the oath and agreed to the acts of succession and supremacy. In March of 1534, records suggest that Margaret was at court with Henry considering her as a bridal option for Francois I of France's son instead of Mary. Margaret's appointment as Anne's lady-in-waiting was viewed as a major coup, and it also distanced Margaret from Mary, a move encouraged by Anne Boleyn. She didn't like the two girls together, potentially plotting. Having Margaret in her household was also a status symbol for Anne, you know, to say, look, I've got the Scottish princess here with me as well. Courtly life provided the young women lots of opportunities to indulge in music, singing, dancing, poetry, and romance. Writing love poetry was a popular pastime. The Devonshire Manuscript contains 183 poems and was transcribed mainly by Margaret Douglas and Mary Shelton. It includes several poems attributed to Margaret and her lover, Lord Thomas Howard. By 1535, at the age of 20, Margaret was actually unusually old for an unmarried noblewoman. Despite her mother's earlier arrangements, no marriage prospects seemed likely. Yet Margaret began a relationship with Lord Thomas Howard, the Duke of Norfolk's half-brother. Margaret, besides being in love, also would have recognized that it was advantageous to be in a union with the family of the Queen's uncle. However, by spring of 1536, this all changed with Anne disgracefully executed and the children Elizabeth was declared illegitimate. Mary had already been declared illegitimate. So following Anne's death, an act of succession passed in July 1536 unexpectedly made Margaret the lawful heir in the absence of a legitimate heir from Queen Jane Seymour. As Henry realized Margaret's ongoing affair with Lord Thomas, it became a source of danger for her, as it hadn't yet been consummated and wasn't legally binding yet. On July 9th, investigations into the former Queen's household revealed Howard's relationship with Margaret. Both were imprisoned, and Howard was condemned by an act of attainder for treason. This act also banned royal family members from marrying without the king's permission. Margaret was spared due to the unconsummated nature of their relationship. Later, a Sir Francis Bigot, a rebel leader, claimed that the act against Howard was actually instigated by Cromwell, who wanted to marry Margaret, which, you know, is a little bit sketchy, so who knows. Thomas and Margaret remained in the Tower throughout the summer of 1536 after the execution of Anne Boleyn. Margaret was probably really afraid, and she probably hoped that her family would intercede with Henry, although how much good that would have done, who knows. On August the 12th, Queen Margaret, her mother, implored Henry to let her daughter return to Scotland, but he refused. 
Margaret's imprisonment wasn't harsh. She had her servant, possibly guests, and she even exchanged verses with Thomas. By October 20th, Queen Margaret thanked Henry for his nobleness towards her daughter, indicating that Margaret was pardoned. Some historians suggest that Margaret stayed in the tower until October of 1537 and then convalesced at Sion Abbey. Others, based on correspondence from that period, proposed that she was transferred to Sion in November of 1536 after receiving Henry's pardon and a luxurious gift indicating her forgiven status. However, Thomas remained in the tower and he died on October 31, 1537. His death deeply affected Margaret. She was very much in distress about it. Thomas was buried without pomp, as per the king's command, and during her imprisonment and thereafter, Margaret incurred medical expenses paid by the king, suggesting an illness. Her movements post-Sion are unknown, but she likely returned to her cousin Mary's household by June of 1538. In October of 1538, she was considered for a foreign prince's marriage. Henry offered Margaret and other ladies to Emperor Charles if he accepted his protege for Mary, but negotiations stalled. When Henry pursued Anne of Cleves, Margaret was to lead the great ladies and welcome the new queen. She was granted luxurious accommodation at Hampton Court. In the queen's service, Margaret would have met and been close with Catherine Howard, who, of course, was related to Thomas Howard. And then Catherine replaced Anne of Cleves as queen in 1540. So Margaret remained in the royal household, receiving a gift from the new queen. She sparked a flirtation with Charles Howard, Catherine's brother, but marriage plans did not materialize. In 1541, Margaret's mother passed away. Around the same time, Queen Catherine was arrested for adultery, and Margaret was questioned but remained uninvolved. Post-investigation, Margaret was directed to Kenningall in Norfolk, accompanied by her friend Mary, Duchess of Richmond. She remained there until late 1542. She then faced a further loss as her half-brother, King James V of Scotland, died in December of 1542. Her father, Angus, was restored to his lands and joined the Scots Privy Council. In July 1543, Margaret witnessed Henry VIII's sixth marriage to Catherine Parr and was surrounded by familiar faces. Finally, it was going to be Margaret's turn to get married very soon. Discussions for a marriage between Margaret and Matthew Stewart, Earl of Lennox, began in July 1543, with Lennox returning to Scotland, intending to oust the Earl of Arran, the governor. Lennox, representing the French alliance, hoped to marry Marie of Guise, the Dowager Queen, but instead found himself swaying towards the English side due to intense rivalry with Arran. By October of 1543, Lennox was at Dumbarton Castle, receiving a loan and munitions from France. Lennox began secret negotiations with the English, demanding marriage to Margaret and succession of her father's earldom in exchange for betraying Dumbarton to Henry's men. Despite his demands, Margaret's father Angus refused to agree to Lennox's terms. Lennox's hatred and jealousy of Aaron and rejection by Marie seemed to override his loyalty to the King of France. By March 1544, Henry appeared open to the marriage as long as both Margaret and Lennox agreed after meeting, leaving room for him to break it off, if necessary. 
In June of 1544, a treaty was established between Henry and Lennox. Lennox would marry Lady Margaret Douglas and receive an estate in return for renouncing his claims to the Scots throne and his French properties and handing over Dumbarton and Butte to the English. This agreement also stipulated that Lennox, once Henry ruled over Scotland, which he planned to because he was going to have Edward marry Mary, Queen of Scots, he would be governor under him and would be encouraged to propagate the word of God in Scotland. The treaty was followed by a celebratory feast and Margaret married Lennox three days later at St. James Palace. She was almost 30, typically considered past the marriageable age at her time, and Lennox, who was the same age and quite attractive, might have been a very pleasing match for her. Margaret supported the marriage of Edward and Mary, Queen of Scots, aligning her closely to the crown. To secure Margaret and Lennox's loyalty, Henry granted them large tracts of land in Yorkshire, making them one of the largest landowners in the north. The land comprised confiscated monastery and rebel properties and was bestowed jointly to prevent passing it on to any of Lennox's potential future children from another marriage. During the War of the Rough Wooing, Henry VIII utilized Lennox, Margaret's husband, for military duties in Ireland and Scotland. In 1545, Lennox was convicted of treason by the Scots Parliament, leading to his land's confiscation. In his absence, Margaret resided at court. The couple still managed to have eight children. However, only two sons, Henry and Charles, would survive into adulthood. The third act of succession prior to Margaret's marriage established Edward, then Mary, and then Elizabeth as Henry's successors, but overlooked Margaret's potential claim to the throne entirely. It's speculated that Henry probably didn't want Lennox to become King of England, and that's what led to this decision. After Henry's death, Margaret and Lennox relocated to Temple Newsom near Leeds, managing their estates. Margaret was known for retaining her Catholic practices even amid Edward VI's reformist legislation. Their sons were raised as Catholics, though they did show some religious flexibility you kind of had to them. Margaret mostly stayed away from court during Edward's reign, but she did entertain the Regent of Scotland, Marie of Guise, on her journey from France to Scotland in 1551. Margaret's father, Angus, did attempt to reconcile with her around this time, expressing affection and presenting gifts. But Margaret resented her father for his disloyalty to her. He sided with the other side of her and her husband, and also for changing the inheritance around so that she was left out and his children by his other marriage received everything. He basically disinherited her. She expressed her frustration in a letter that she wrote to him in 1549. In 1552, while she was pregnant, Margaret wished to return home possibly for the first time back to Scotland since 1528, and she likely visited her father. However, this potential reconciliation didn't change the entitlement of Angus's lands, and that led to later disputes. Lennox and her children remained in England, possibly keeping Margaret away during the summer of 1553 when Lady Jane Grey was being positioned for the throne. Upon Queen Mary's ascension, Margaret quickly returned to court, where she and her husband Lennox were favored. She likely saw this as an opportunity to promote her son Darnley as a potential heir and to regain Lennox's Scottish estates. They received numerous gifts from the Queen, and Darnley's lute-playing skills apparently greatly pleased Mary. 
Margaret served as Queen Mary's train bearer at her wedding in July 1554 and remained at court as Mary's chief lady-in-waiting, despite being pregnant. She bore two sons during Mary's reign, but only Charles survived. In 1557, Angus, Margaret's father, died, and she claimed his earldom. However, her cousin Archibald Douglas seized the Angus lands. Although Queen Mary sought the Scottish regent's support for Margaret's claims, the matters were left unresolved. In the meantime, Lennox's brother John's participation in battles against England raised suspicion about the Lennox's loyalty, but no action was taken before Mary's death in November 1558. Upon Mary's death, Margaret, as the Queen's chief mourner, played roles in the funeral and Queen Elizabeth's coronation. However, Elizabeth distanced herself from Margaret, creating discomfort between them. The Lennoxes retreated to their properties in Setrington, maintaining their Catholic faith despite the Reformation. Elizabeth's reign saw rampant espionage, and Thomas Bishop, a disgruntled former servant of the Lennoxes, reported their actions to the government. Simultaneously, Scotland was in turmoil, with Marie of Guise courted by Protestant reformers. She promised the Lennoxes their ancestral estates, potentially offering a future for their sons. Margaret sought recognition for her son Darnley as a potential heir, but with Elizabeth deemed illegitimate by some Catholics, Darnley's claims extended to Scotland and even to France. Despite Queen Mary of Scots denying Darnley's request for Lennox estates, the Lennoxes pursued connections with her and the French nobility. Elizabeth's council interrogated Margaret and challenged her legitimacy, citing Queen Margaret Tudor's divorce. After Mary, Queen of Scots' French husband, Francois II's death in 1560, there was speculation about Darnley potentially becoming Queen Mary's second husband, merging their claims to the English throne and bolstering the Scottish throne. Upon Queen Mary's widowhood, both Scotland and England anticipated that the Lennoxes would engineer her marriage to their son Darnley. Margaret Lennox spearheaded this agenda, regularly corresponding with Queen Mary, but the Scottish Queen was more inclined towards an alliance with Spain, sidelining the young Darnley. Towards the end of 1561, Margaret and other Catholic nobles, including the Earls of Northumberland and Westmoreland, were summoned to London. Fearful of potential arrest, Margaret justified her actions in plotting this marriage by arguing that a Mary Darnley marriage could stave off a civil war should Elizabeth pass away childless. Further allegations against Margaret were raised, including her supposed efforts to hinder a meeting between Mary and Elizabeth due to concerns that Mary might disclose their private correspondence. However, it was evident that Elizabeth's administration, particularly William Cecil, also preferred to keep the two queens apart. Meanwhile, Queen Mary was more focused on her own bid to be named Elizabeth's direct successor than on the Lennox's ambitions. In January of 1562, Margaret faced a major setback when she learned of Lennox's arrest in London. He was taken after he failed to explain some questionable communications with Scotland that the English government had intercepted. Thomas Bishop, the disgruntled servant who had been dismissed by the Lennox's for a second time, not sure why they hired him back, but they fired him a second time, took advantage of the situation by launching a litany of accusations against them. Unsurprisingly, Scotland offered no assistance during the crisis. Queen Mary showed little interest in the Lennox family at this stage. 
As a result, Lennox was then transferred to the Tower of London and Margaret was placed under house arrest at the old charter house at Sheen in London. The saga of the Lennoxes and their pursuit of power was growing increasingly perilous. The government unearthed a conspiracy by the Spanish ambassador de Quadra to usurp the throne with Margaret claiming King Philip's assistance would garner wide support. Margaret, in touch with de Quadra, seemed unaware of the scheme. Thomas Bishop and another spy, Forbes, accused her of treasonous activities such as witchcraft and conspiring against Queen Elizabeth. In May, the council interrogated Margaret, who denied all allegations, requesting her accusers to face her directly and meet Elizabeth. Other Lennox servants confirmed that their correspondence with the Scottish Queen was about the Lennox estates, not Darnley's marriage. Elizabeth seemed to believe in Lennox and Margaret's innocence concerning de Quadra's plot. Margaret maintained her innocence throughout the summer, acknowledging only that Darnley's tutor had visited Scotland without permission. Despite concerns about her finances and the management of their estates, Margaret and Lennox remained confined. In autumn of 1562, Elizabeth fell ill with smallpox, prompting some lords to support Margaret and Darnley's claims, and Dudley suggested freeing Margaret. Upon recovery, Elizabeth allowed Lennox to join Margaret, albeit still under house arrest. Eventually, Elizabeth yielded, likely to maintain equilibrium among potential successors, Margaret, Queen Mary, and Lady Catherine Grey. As a condition, Margaret vowed Darnley wouldn't wed without Elizabeth's approval. Later, Elizabeth agreed to back the Lennox's claims to his land, although the Lennox's financial woes, given their substantial land holdings, were puzzling. Elizabeth's government soon saw a union between Mary and Darnley as a lesser threat than Mary's potential marriage to Don Carlos, Philip of Spain's son. Despite this, this is when Elizabeth proposed that Lord Robert Dudley was an alternative spouse for Mary, a suggestion met, of course, with disdain by both Dudley and Mary. Darnley's exposure at the English court seemed to aim to keep Mary favorably disposed towards the English. Meanwhile, Margaret still anticipated Darnley's marriage to Mary and subsequent ascension to the English throne, not indicating any intent to overthrow Elizabeth. Despite previous hesitations, Elizabeth permitted Lennox to journey to Scotland and eventually Darnley as well. As Dudley sought to avoid marriage with Mary, he willingly cooperated with Margaret to promote Darnley's prospects. In September 1564, the Scots Parliament reinstated Lennox, lifting his two-decade forfeiture sentence. Elizabeth continued to favor Darnley, suggesting him as a suitor to Mary's ambassador. Ultimately, Darnley traveled to Scotland and quickly caught Mary's affection. By April, Mary was requesting Elizabeth's approval for marriage with Darnley and her designation as Elizabeth's heir. Elizabeth responded coldly, restricting Margaret's movement and giving contradictory orders about the proposed match. Mary's choice of Darnley was met with general displeasure among the Scottish lords for various reasons. When Darnley accepted the earldom of Ross swearing allegiance to Mary, Elizabeth commanded him and Lennox to return to England immediately. Their failure to comply resulted in Margaret's imprisonment in the Tower of London. Margaret was suitably housed and attended during her incarceration near the Bell Tower. Her son Charles briefly lived with the Archbishop of York before returning to his home. While her estates were not formally forfeited, their rents were directed to the crown. 
Margaret increasingly corresponded with Cecil and the French and Spanish ambassadors, much to Elizabeth's chagrin. Soon word arrived of Mary and Darnley's marriage. Darnley tactfully abstained from attending the nuptial mass, signaling his empathy towards Scotland's Protestants. The couple were now styled as King and Queen of Scots, appealing for Margaret's release, promising non-interference in England, and requesting an act of Parliament securing the succession for their heirs. Despite pleas from multiple European monarchs, Elizabeth denied Margaret's release, though did ensure her comfortable captivity. Well, that was nice of her. Trouble brewed within the new royal union due to Darnley's arrogant behavior and Mary's reluctance to grant him full equality. Lennox's quest for revenge also troubled Mary. However, Darnley did serve one useful purpose, ensuring Mary's pregnancy shortly after their marriage. Margaret was undoubtedly pleased by the pregnancy news and received a letter from Lennox intercepted and confiscated when their servant Fowler was apprehended. Meanwhile, the marital discord between Mary and Darnley escalated. Darnley's jealousy of Mary's secretary, David Rizzio, culminated in a conspiracy to murder him, possibly involving Lennox. Darnley sought his mother's release through a letter to Elizabeth claiming her innocence in his marriage to Mary, but it proved ineffective. The Spanish ambassador suggested that Margaret's influence could have mitigated Darnley's behavioral issues, perhaps explaining Elizabeth's insistence on keeping Margaret imprisoned. Public appearances suggested Mary and Darnley's reconciliation post Rizzio's murder, but with the birth of her son, Mary saw no further need for Darnley, a sentiment shared by most Scottish nobles, except for his father. Darnley was murdered in February 1567, with the extent of Mary's involvement remaining a subject of debate, to put it mildly. News of Darnley's death, of course, would have crushed Margaret, prompting Elizabeth to dispatch Lady Cecil and Lady William Howard to inform her. Initially, Margaret thought that her husband Lennox was dead as well, until William Cecil personally reassured her. Elizabeth, sympathizing with Margaret's intense grief, allowed her to relocate to Sheen, where she was reunited with her son Charles. Margaret and Lennox, suspecting Queen Mary's involvement in their son's death due to her lackluster pursuit of justice, pursued a private prosecution against the Earl of Bothwell. His subsequent acquittal only heightened their suspicions. By April of 1567, Lennox returned to England to console Margaret. Touched by their sorrow, many of Elizabeth's courtiers suggested leniency. Eventually, the grieving couple was allowed to reside at Cold Harbor, a modest London palace, although their estate's incomes remained with the crown. Mary's suspected guilt and her subsequent marriage to Bothwell led to her abdication in favor of her son James, Margaret's grandson. Margaret and Lennox were horrified at the possibility of Mary regaining her throne with English support and implored Elizabeth for justice. Despite initial sympathy, Elizabeth grew tired of their grief and demanded more proof of Mary's guilt. In Scotland, the young James was crowned and raised in the Protestant faith by the Earl of Moray, his uncle. The following two years saw Margaret and Lennox continue to accuse Mary of Darnley's murder, though the issue remained unresolved. In 1570, the assassination of the Regent Moray plunged Scotland into chaos, sparking fear in both Margaret and Mary for James's safety. Despite Margaret's pleas to bring James to England and under her care, Elizabeth denied the request due to potential religious influences and risks to her own power. 
Meanwhile, Mary reached out to Margaret, seeking advice about James's relocation. Margaret didn't respond, but maintained her belief in Mary's guilt in a letter to Sir William Cecil. Amidst the chaos in Scotland, Elizabeth appointed Lennox as the new regent under strict instructions while Margaret and Charles remained in London, essentially as hostages. Lennox reluctantly assumed the role of regent and developed a bond with his four-year-old grandson, King James. Despite his best efforts, Lennox's old rivalry with the Hamiltons led to conflicts, resulting in him executing several Hamilton hostages, marking him as a target. His relationship with the Earl of Morton, involved in the murder of Secretary Rizzio, also soured. In 1571, Lennox was killed, possibly by an enemy or an ally, during an armed confrontation led by the Queen's party in Stirling. His last words expressed concern for King James and a love for his wife, Margaret. His death was kept under wraps until Elizabeth personally could break the news to a devastated Margaret. Margaret shifted her focus to her remaining child, Charles, seeking his guidance and promotion through Lord Burley, though he only appointed Charles a Protestant tutor. Despite her Catholic beliefs, Margaret showed tolerance for other religious views, which, of course, was very rare in this time. During this period, she liaised with the new regent, the Earl of Mar. Surprisingly, around 1573, Margaret announced her belief in Queen Mary's innocence of Darnley's murder. This drastic shift in her convictions remains a mystery. In 1573, Margaret asked to return to Setrington, granted by Elizabeth with instructions to avoid Chatsworth, where Mary was being held. Despite reconciliation with Mary, Margaret dismissed the notion of collusion, not forgetting her child's murder. The next year, Margaret and her son Charles journeyed to Temple Newsom. She arranged a meeting with Countess Bess of Hardwick at Rufford Abbey, leading to Charles and Bess's daughter Elizabeth Cavendish's love-struck marriage, arranged without Queen Elizabeth's consent, resulting in Margaret's imprisonment yet again in the Tower. There, Margaret spent her time crafting a handkerchief for Mary, and with no treasonous evidence found, she was released by the end of 1575. In 1577, her son Charles died probably of consumption. She lost all of her children. She gave birth to eight children, and not one of them survived her. She sought recognition for Arbella as the Countess of Lennox, which was denied, and Queen Mary's attempt to grant the Lennox inheritance to Arbella in her will had little impact. Margaret's pleas to Elizabeth secured a stern message to Regent Morton regarding Arbella's rights possibly with the view to saving Elizabeth's own money. Margaret drafted her will in February of 1578, and she passed away in March. Elizabeth covered the funeral expenses, allowing Margaret to be buried in Westminster Abbey. So there you go, the tumultuous life of Margaret Douglas. We're going to stop it here. You can hop into the Tudor Learning Circle, a social network just for Tudor nerds, to continue the conversation about this and all things Tudor. And remember to check out TudorCon streaming tickets at englandcast.com slash TudorCon online. Thank you so very much for listening, and I will be back with more stories of Tudor England next week. <laughs> Have a great one. Blow northern wind, send the baby sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow. Ich hoorde boord in Bouwerbriek, het soel is hem niet ontzicht. Neem stoel, meiden, op mij, ver en vreed.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.